0: To the second hour of Barbarian in the Valley, better known to those who do know as the Free Associates. That's right, the Free Associates. Free to associate, free to associate with whomever we want, free to associate with any idea that comes along. Beautiful freedom. Who doesn't love freedom? You know who doesn't love freedom? Nobody. Nobody. That's right, nobody. We all love freedom, guys. And you will later be free to call in, but not yet. I'll give you that number in a little while. However, you are totally free to go online right now. Go to barbarianinthevalley.com and get our reading, okay? And it's not long, so you can just get it and read it, probably in just a couple minutes. And I think... I don't think it's controversial reading, okay? I'm not going to say it's controversial, but I think it's pretty interesting, especially for our college community in our valley, okay? Because what it is about is generalization and specialization, all right? So please go to barbarianinthevalley.com, and you can get that reading, a bone up on it, and then you'll be ready later when we open the phones to just flood us with calls, flood us. Now, a new part of our opening is that my co-host, My other associate will do a drawing, will hold that drawing up to me, and then I'll free associate about that drawing in three, two, one, hold up the drawing. Goldfish, crackers, I love goldfish, crackers, my kids love goldfish, crackers, Um, baseball, uh, some kind of weird serial killer type geometry, Um, um, going fishing in the Connecticut River, I fall off the boat. I get sucked into the undertow, I'm dead. Okay, those are my pre-associations, and we will put that picture on the website. And then you can pre-associate them. Thank you very much. That beautiful drawing, beautiful, artistic, aesthetic, strange, and maybe we can ask her what the heck that was, was by by Robin Cody, who's joining I, the BIQ, to have this conversation today about, um, it's Epstein's book, and the book is called Range. Okay, so in a minute, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about that. Now, I just want to remind you guys that both hours are podcasted literally everywhere. I mean, as far as I know, space aliens are cruising by, getting on Spotify just to load up this week before they go somewhere else. And a reminder to aliens out there that if you want to invade the Earth, I am going to invite you to do that. Okay, you are the invitation of the BIQ from WMUAMRS to come invade us and help us fix all these problems. We'll be back in a minute. Right, and we are coming back. That's Diodato also Sparks Zarathustra. Just love that prog rock and that talk, talk radio is just a, such a perfect combination I think. All right. Now I want to welcome Robin Cody to the studio. She is a common pre-associate. That is she's been on a number of times. How are you doing Robin? I'm well. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh it's not even a question. And you know the only risk we have on this show is that we're too like-minded. So we're going to have to find some conflict. Some <laughs> grist for the mill so to speak. Now You showed me a picture. It was surprising and even shocking to me. What were you thinking (laughs) when you drew this picture? Again, folks, we'll have this online. What is it? Well,
1: you know, I'm an artist. And so I'm used to facing the blank page. Mm -hmm. So I really just started with a circle and a line. And the line led to another line and then led to another Uh shape. And so that's when I started seeing, oh, potentially this could be a hook. And if it's a hook, what's at the end of a hook? Oh, it's Hmm. a fish. And if it's...
0: That's strange, that fish, though.
1: Fish. Then the circle is somebody fishing, and what is somebody fishing? Wear, but a baseball hat, and they're both very happy. And I, the strangest hmm. part about this is that a fish is on the hook, and the fish is smiling. Yes, at the fisherman.
0: Well, it's also who is also smiling at the fish. Yeah, there's something else going on here because the fish is also flying above the river, kind of, <laughs> and it's hooked by its tail, not by its mouth. It's true. So I, <laughs> it's
1: hooked by its tail. That is a very, very, very good point. Okay, I'm
0: going to take that now because no, I,
1: I want to. I have my notes. Oh, right, on you the have your side. notes on the
0: other side, but let's not lose that. Now it seems to me you did the exact right thing by free associating as you drew the picture. I didn't. That wasn't one of my commands, so to speak, or my request. I just said draw a picture, but you were actually free associating, and then I pre-associated off that picture. Exactly. Awesome. That's why we're a good team. And we are the Free Associates here, and you can get our podcast on Spotify and iTunes and any other kind of imaginable platform you can think of. The reading is on BarbarianThevalley.com Short reading. So let's break out the reading. And I don't know if we decided who wanted to tackle the breakout of just the article. Do you want to tackle that?
1: Uh, sure, I can. Okay,
0: great. Um, <clears throat>
1: So uh, the article is In the Atlantic, and it essentially is a book review on Range by David Epstein. And Range is a, uh, a book about, I guess, arguing in many ways against specialization. Um, it seems, uh, you know, in his mind that we as a society have become uh, more and more... Uh, Dedicated and narrow-minded when it comes to um, particular areas of expertise oh. and how that can be a real detriment to um, seeing the big picture, seeing other people who are actually working on the exact same problems. It might not be the most efficient way of allocating resources, brain power, creative um creative processes, and
0: computers can do it a lot better. Right, which ultimately. we'll get into in a minute, but I thought you, you made a good point uh, before the show that it's essentially a parenting article. Uh, the article itself is... Um, Geared towards parenting.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, that the the writer Prata- and in, in the interview, David talks a lot about how he wasn't able to sort of forget that. When he was writing the book, uh, he just had—I think it was a daughter—and right. that he is, um, he himself will really encourage her to experiment and um, with a lot of different uh, yeah, sports he has, and other
0: things. He has a vision, and it seems to me he—he he wrote for Sports Illustrated for years, and so he's in sports, and so I think this is obviously he's pretty broad range of interests but it makes sense that the book itself is kind of a book about parenting too because when we think about these decisions like do i specialize or do i generalize it's usually a parent thinking about them for the kid the kid's too young uh maybe not totally but like they don't really necessarily at the age of four five six understand these concepts and i wonder if later in our life we could change whether we were specialists or generalized. we could he actually does talk about that a little bit.
1: He he talks about that quite a bit, actually. And you know, I wrote down this one of the um, facts that he that he discovered in the course of his research was that Nobel laureates um, are twenty times more likely to have had uh, at least some experience in acting or being right. a magician, dancer, performer of some kind. So, so I mean, mm-hmm. it's not that they're professional actors necessarily, no. but. He talks a lot about how a lot of very highly successful people are more likely to have additional interests or be career changers. Yes. Um, And and how he even got on to writing this was he was invited by the military to give a talk. And... Excuse me. I suppose the talk was was about on range and uh, a lot of people came up to him after the talk and said, thank you so much. Um, I've been sort of embarrassed by you know how I'm 40, 50 years old and I'm in the midst of this career change. And um, you know, he would look at the profiles of these people coming up to him and they were very uh, accomplished otherwise. And he thought, huh, this is really interesting. It seems like our society really overvalues this sort of old idea that you know you if you if you haven't made it by a certain age if you haven't you know reached your apex then you're kind of doomed to mediocrity for the rest of your days and I think that the book is really sort of countering that assumption. Okay
0: and and I agree with that and I think that you're right in the sense that it is a book about parenting but probably adults can learn from it too And and I would say conversely he does some really interesting stuff. Now, you and I, we actually listened to some of this audio book on a long drive. So we were able to do a little bit more than the article. Um, and we should talk about some of the examples. But one of the really funny examples was he says, he starts talking about how actually people who specialized can really run into big problems. Because they're really good at assessing patterns. But if the patterns aren't, it, that also prejudices them to thinking they know what's going on when they often... Don't, mm-hmm. and so he, may, he gives this very funny example of how you're more likely to survive a heart attack when there's a cardiologist convention. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, apparently that this is incredible. this is a fact. Like this is like this is not an opinion. So cardiologists, because all these of the routine hearts,
1: procedures of stints.
0: Oh, right. And he talks about how they just they they'll do that like. Sort you know, of on, on a dime, they on just a do dime, that on,
1: automatically on
0: a dime, and I'm sure there's like some other factors, <laughs> like liability and stuff, going in there. But I thought it was a really—if uh, I was a cardiologist and I read that paragraph, it would really give me pause. I'd be like, "Wait a second, is that really true?" And if that's true, I think I need to rethink a little bit. Uh, he also gives the example. I thought this was fascinating. You know, my gra- my grandfather's a firefighter in Boston in the age where things burned down all the time, <laughs> like folks, like. All the time. In the north end of Boston and on the waterfront, my son is obsessed with with my grandfather, uh, Little Rocky. Now, the other example he gives is firefighters. Like, apparently, the pattern recognition among veterans is really important. Like, they look at fire and they see patterns. Yeah. But as soon as they're in a different space, they can't assess it. And actually, they're feeling like they can assess it is a real liability. Whereas... A new firefighter might be like, I have no idea what that fire pattern means, so I'm not going to rush into that room or whatever it is. Mm. Like those things that we take for granted can really start working against us when the pattern changes. It's, it's okay if everything's going along and it's like, okay, I know this kind of fire. But as soon as it's a different kind of fire, they use skyscraper as an example. Oh, right. A skyscraper fire is something that firefighters almost never kind of come up against. Uh-huh. That's a time for great humility, right? That's a time mm-hmm. where you're like, actually, guys, I know I'm the fire chief here. I don't know what's going on here. So mm. what's the protocol for when no one knows what's going on? It becomes a different <laughs> protocol. So in that case, I think it is an adult's book. It's not just about parents. Mm-hmm. Part I of it's agree. about parenting, but it's a really useful. Now, I think as a disclaimer, I, I think it's worth making this disclaimer right now. <clears throat> that you and I are very similar in so many ways and I think this book is a big tall glass of water for us right I mean be honest isn't this the book that the, isn't this the kind of book that you're validates
1: like, our, oh, our our yeah.
0: our oh man rec- restless every, spirit every every minute of that audio book <laughs> just is like a layer of velvet cake on top of all my life choices just validating our existence oh just like the, because <laughs> you and I we're, we're not just generalists we're like radical generalist you know it's it's like part of our dna that we would just roam around i mean i did everything in new york <laughs> i did tried every art form i mean outside of uh figure skating i tried it <laughs> you know anything to get famous so i'm a generalist par excellence and my parents definitely encouraged that and i i still you know i get that i'm not famous but I still think it's what I believe in. So would you say that that's true for you just for the listeners so that they
1: Well, I mean I do <laughs> it is honest. true that um I was very happy to hear that of course successful people have uh every chance of at every point in their life to be sort of make their out. make their mark, have the impact that that they uh a, a greater impact. Um but it it's interesting now, being a parent, and so yes, I was uh, sort of a, a wandering wandering soul, but um, I, and I did learn later the the virtue and value of discipline and so so in some ways, I'm really interested in this tension between discipline and grit mm-hmm. versus experimentation and sort of following your fancy or following your bliss. So I was really and encouraged.
0: You. Okay, yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, I was really encouraged growing up to follow my bliss. Yep. And so I did. And I was taken to far corners of the earth and mm-hmm. had incredible experiences that I now have the opportunity to write about. But see, now I'm writing and that takes a lot of grit. That takes mm-hmm. a lot of discipline. And so I had to sort of learn that later. And so I'm trying to help our children really develop uh, a muscle to uh, stick with something. And I guess the difference for me in um, helping them learn discipline is not really so that they, ha- you know, have high achievement achievement within that one particular field, like piano, for example, but that they just get sort of accustomed to um, sticking it out, to tolerating discomfort, to, be- to to the feeling of being stretched. So that's not something that the book
0: directly addresses. Right. And I kind of would like to come back to that. Like To me, just so the listening public knows, um, I don't really... But the, my experience was that the book, it didn't address this, but the article had a subtitle or an italicized thing which said, is grit overrated? I would like to try to keep that for the second half because okay, sure. I feel like that is a conversation in of itself. I felt like it was kind of like a bait, bait clickbait kind of situation. But... Since I have you on the hot seat, wouldn't you agree that you and I are similar, that we love this book and it validates so much of ourselves or not?
1: Yeah, I don't know how valuable that is to anybody else listening.
0: Um, well, I think it's just because I think it's time to like give the book a little bit of a run for the money now. I think that we need to be able to critique the book as well. Yeah, so let okay. me, can I try to start doing that? And then yeah, and then I'll, you can push back or sure, join sure, in sure. or something like that. Sure. So I guess here's the argument is, and let's lay down his base argument. His base argument is is that pattern recognition has been very useful in the past. That is to say, like being able to recognize what a fire looks like or being able to play chess. I mean... A big part of the book is about this family that intentionally grows their kids up to be chess champions, and they are. They really get very good. They're not the best in the world, but they're very close to that.
1: They're homeschooled. They're and, they home specialized schooled, and in They're homeschooled, and they're well,
0: very specialized. And there's three sisters, and they rise quite high up. Um, and chess is a lot of pattern recognition. That's like kind of what it is. Um, it's 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 different than uh, strategy necessarily. There's pattern recognition with chess, and then there's strategy. And um, when you're playing the computer or when you're playing on these high levels, it's like 80% pattern recognition, actually, and 20% strategy. And he actually gives this really interesting example, is that after the computer beat uh, whoever it was, that really famous chess player, when he, they, he got beat... Kasparov? Kasparov. He did something really cool, and he went off and licked his wounds and then said, I want to kind of create a different chess then, which requires different things to go on. And he Freestyle. Comp- yeah, freestyle chess. And the computer has a hard time keeping up with this freestyle chess because strategy becomes, like, it actually flips. It becomes about 80% strategy and 20% pattern recognition. And so, you know, he uses this as an example. Basically, he's saying, I feel like generalization is the way to go, especially in the future, because anything specialized, a robot can do or a computer can do. Like, they can do that stuff. They can recognize patterns. And what they can't do is do like kind of like ephemeral strategy they can't like manage a team with all those emotional they can't free
1: associate they
0: can't free associate okay so good so we're there <laughs> although i wonder can a computer free associate
1: well i was talking to my friend chris and he said don't underestimate machines so he's really mm-hmm. um yes he's very I don't. bullish on oh. uh on ai and that's probably a whole other conversation which we should have a, yes. another segment on it at some point, but um, yeah, I, I think that.
0: Well, where were you going? Oh, you're well, okay. So to- yeah, I was just kind of laying that as a base. But here's the argument against him. Now he's coming kind of from left field and saying, "Look, this, there's been a big push for specialization in the last 20 years, which I think is right. That like a lot of parenting books tell you to specialize your kids." I, you know, personally very frustrated with youth sports right now. Mm -hmm. You know, there's very hard to engage sports for your kid in the way that I had it, where I played three or four sports a year. There was soccer in the fall and basketball in the winter and baseball in the spring. And now there's these like club leagues and you're kind of expected, you are expected to dedicate your whole year to gymnastics or your whole year to ballet or whatever it is. And, you know, unfortunately, and he talks about this, there's a profit motive in there because it doesn't even have to be that cynical, but there's a structure now around these club leagues where people, like, that's their living, you know, and they're doing good work, but they're demanding from kids that they do this all year round. Well, I really don't like that. And he gives the example of Tiger Woods versus Roger Federer, right? Tiger Woods was brought up as a specialist by his father. He showed a remarkable talent, like, at... Ten months, you know, (laughs) like it really is something. You know, and if your Tiger Woods dead, I mean, how would you not? You know, of course you. Yeah, it was, it it was like beating uh, adults when he was four on the golf course. You know, (laughs) so like of course you get out of the way and you foster that. I don't think you can fault him for that. But Roger Federer. Who I was interested I guess he's considered one of the greatest maybe the greatest tennis player of all time I didn't know that his statue was that large I haven't Male.
1: Fo- they, fo- they...
0: Yeah I don't know I haven't followed tennis for a while so but he's a tremendous player and he his parents were almost anti specialists they did not want him to take tennis too seriously they kept kind of being like uh, don't take that too seriously Roger and he did all kinds of stuff hiking and skiing and basketball and he came about and really didn't blossom until much later. College okay.
1: years, I think. Yeah. Even in high school, the, the coach noticed that he had a great ability and wanted to put him with older kids. And Roger said, no, 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 I don't, I don't really want to go with no. the older
0: kids. And he talks also about soccer players. There was a study on soccer players. And he's like some, the, the best soccer players in the world blossomed at 20 or something like that. Oh, uh-huh. And they came from unorganized play. Right, He said that. Now, I'm be curious about what other factors are in there. But basically, like sandlot soccer. You yeah. know, they were not, like they might have done leagues, but that wasn't the majority of their soccer. The majority of their soccer was out on the sandlot. And I think you could probably say that for basketball, too. Like living in New York, the kids play basketball all the time, you know. And in Northampton, the kids are always out playing basketball. It's what they do. It's what they live and breathe. Um, I guess that's a specialization of a kind. So he compares these uh, the Tiger Woods model with the Roger Federer model. Now, we have definitely been living through 20 years of Tiger Woods model. I, I think that it's fair to say that specialization has been on the increase. And to me, as a generalist, I don't resonate with that. I'm not happy with that. And I'm particularly not happy that like if uh, Harper or Rockwell want to play baseball now, it's almost like at that age, they don't have another team to play inside of Northampton. They have to go play East Hampton in Long Meadow, like it's she's in second grade and like it's almost at that point. Well that frustrates me. So he's definitely counterpunching here. Like he's hopefully the beginning of a of a check on that kind of level of specialization. I think the argument against him would be okay, here's the argument. In an affluent society mm-hmm. in an affluent society, affluent societies become ever more specialized. Okay?
1: Yeah, they have more competitive.
0: They're more competitive. They have more room for specialization. Like, if you're in a impoverished society, there's no baristas there. There's no one perfecting coffee. <laughs> do you, do you, you know, like, there's no opportunity to do that. Like, there's no opportunity <laughs> right. for Pilates right. class they're, and stuff like that. They're worried about other things. Yes. And so, in a really affluent society, you see job specialization... That's even radically different from when I was a kid. I remember um, when I was a tour guide, we used to go by Whole Foods and I would talk about the cheese. And, you know, when, when you, you go into Whole Foods, there's two separate cheese rooms. And I say, when I was a kid, there were two kinds of cheeses, regular and unleaded. <laughs> I mean, things are really different. And the jobs people have are so much more specialized. So I think the argument against what Epstein is saying is, you know what, you're probably right. And I really like what you're saying. But if we continue to be more affluent, the reality is that the society my kids are going to enter is going to be a specialized society. Unless they're the lucky few who get to be generalists in society and can bring their, like, you know, leadership. Hopefully leadership would be more ephemeral. It's hard to specialize leadership. I think Mm -hmm. that's for sure. Like, that kind of emotional IQ or emotional question. I mean,
1: yeah, I... You know, this is this is just to further his point, which is that you know, okay, if specialization was the sort of the the answer to solving these our world's problems, then you know, fine. But the fact is, is that it has a limit. That you know, when you in he talks about cognitive entrenchment, that when you become so narrowly focused, um, yeah, you start making s- n- not really. Good decisions. You know, we've all been there where we get (coughs) too myopic in um, you know how we're how we're conducting our our lives and the choices around you know particular tasks and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, I think what essentially he's saying is is that creativity requires us to have different um, inputs of stimulation. And that just sort of the way our brain is, uh, functions and develops, it's very healthy to um, be sort of more, cro- to cross-pollinate more. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to another friend of mine, or actually a cousin, and we were talking about this physicist who had become really stymied in his research. There's a TED Talk on
0: it, actually, this, this particular... There's TED Talk about everything, but yes. Yeah.
1: And um, he, was, he was stuck... Every, every road, uh, every, every path that his research led down was a dead end. He didn't know what he was doing. And just on a lark, just to kind of release some stress, he took an improv class. And if anyone knows anything about improv, the first thing that they teach you is that it's a yes and... Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it's based on a yes and mindset so that you reject absolutely nothing and that your job as a as an as an improver is to accept whatever is being thrown at you and to make something out of it and so he started to learn this principle it's a it's a creative it's a mindset right and so somehow that kind of infiltrated his research and that led him to uh push through and develop some kind of eureka moments
0: right and that's that's where this book could be helpful to people who are older and i have to say as a teacher i often like put things to sleep a little bit it's usually because i'm trying to execute something else and like bring something into my teaching but i do know that there are parts of my like i can get myopic you know Uh i do like okay i have that now like i know how to deal with that now and that is dangerous i i like to think i don't do it Just to get lazy, it's like I'm trying to pull in other things to what I do, and so and then every once in a while I I review my own teaching. I'm like, wait, just this is—I don't think they understand this at all. I see. This is actually really confusing, and Mm -hmm. I need to revisit this. So, and you know, we actually talked a little bit. I don't know if we have time to talk about it, but I do love that boots on the ground thing, where it's just like, you know what? Just go and start moving around something else. Oh, Mm -hmm. I was talking about that Russian investor guy. Remember? And,
1: you were talking about the power broker guy. Well, I was talking oh, about yeah. uh,
0: Robert Moses, but I was also talking about Hermitage Capital. And what, what it is to just like, there's a the guy who followed his instincts and just put himself in a place where opportunity could arise. He was not a specialist, but...
1: I think that's a really good point, following your instincts. And so when you become more and more myopic, you uh, maybe that, that part of our, our self becomes a little dull... A little lax it's it's like a muscle to really be sort of awake and attuned to um, new stimulus mm-hmm. um, so it's 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 almost physiological, yeah you know I it's think almost it like to be sort of alert and um, available to your instincts is is a physiological thing that I think David Epstein would argue is um, is cultivated through exposing yourself to a diverse range of experiences. Yeah,
0: and it's interesting. We didn't get far enough in the book to know. I'm sure he addresses, you know, because I don't know a lot about golf, but I know that at a certain point, Tiger Woods's game fell apart. Mm-hmm. And was like, it's been like 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like, he just won a Grand Slam Masters or whatever it is. Again, I'm not a golf person, but my guess is that in a later chapter, he's like, Tiger Woods' game fell apart mm-hmm. like and he could not get it together again for 10 years mm-hmm. whereas probably Roger Federer didn't have that experience you know what I mean yeah we don't I, I don't know. know yeah yeah um so we're gonna go and do some promotions and stuff like that stuff that we wanna do and required to do when we come back, we'll start talking about grit and kind of parenting choices, because I think that that's where the rubber might hit the road a little bit. And that's a time in which you can call in. We'll give you that number when you come back. Actually, I'll give you to you once now, once or twice, 413-545-3691. It's actually an ideal moment to call in because we'll be on break and we'd love to have you on air. It could be about specialization or generalization, really anything you've heard or read. 413-545-3691. is that number, and we'd love to hear from you. We'll be back in a minute.